0: Thanks for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. Our hope is that it helps you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Good morning, Christ Church. How are we doing? Good. I'm glad to hear it. It's a good morning for sure. If you are new to get my, or our gathering, my name is Drake, and I have the joy of serving as one of the ministers here. We're grateful you would join us, and I want to let you know we gather more times than just on Sunday mornings. We have classes that meet throughout the week. We have groups that meet throughout the week. Uh, we have ministry opportunities for children and birth through high school. A lot of opportunities. So I'd love to invite you to join us even more times throughout the week as we discover completeness in Jesus together. If you have any questions about that, you can visit with the Welcome Center in the lobby or visit our website at cco.church. So thanks so much for joining us this morning. Uh, as we continue our sermons series through the Gospel of Mark, it's called The One. Uh, today we're going to be in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41, and this is a sermon series. We make encounters with Jesus, and we learn his identity and grow in our wisdom and understanding of who he is. Today, we're going to be looking at Jesus, the powerful one, and as you're turning your Bible to Mark chapter four, I want to tell a story. Uh, now, my wife and I have two sons. We actually have a baby coming in July, which is very exciting. We don't know if it's a boy or girl yet. Kind of open for a girl, different type of energy uh, in the Holderman household. I know it'll still be a little crazy, but uh, maybe mix it up a little bit, right? But right now we have Willie and Murph, and uh, they are boys, like to the T. These boys are all boy, if you know what I mean, and they love to have fun. Having sons has helped revive my imagination in adulthood, and it's really fun to watch them play together and imagine different things in their life. They have a great imagination. Uh, Willie, when he's playing with his toys, every Hot Wheel is a NASCAR. Every Tonka truck is on the worksite, site. Every model airplane is 30,000 feet in the air with Captain Willie at the controls. Every stick is a sword is Sir William Fights the Night. He has a great imagination. Children have this ability to imagine. Do you remember when you played uh, Little League Baseball or Wee football? Every game you were playing in wasn't just some normal mundane game. It was the Super Bowl or the World Series, right? Or if you acted at a play in school, you weren't just at your school in a performing arts center. You were on Broadway performing for thousands. Children have this ability to imagine things greatly. Children also have the ability to see in faith. Children have this ability to see God for how powerful he really is. Willie, my three-year-old who I was just telling you about, loves stories in the Bible about the men of God who saw the strength of God. A few weeks ago, Willie goes into his closet and he shuts the door. And I said, Willie, what are you doing in there? And he shushed me. He goes, shh, I'm Daniel in the lion's den. Do you see what he sees? He's not in a closet surrounded by clutter. He's in a den surrounded by lions whose mouths have been shut by the strength of God. He's learning to live and to trust in the strength of God. One of his favorite stories, in fact, his favorite story is the story of David and Goliath. I'm sure this is the favorite story for many young boys in our church. Now, this is interesting, though, when he and his brother play it out, because Willie doesn't want to be David. He wants to act as Goliath for the simple fact that he is taller than his brother Murphy. And so he is Goliath. And so he'll start the drama. He's like, oh, I'm big, dumb, giant Goliath. You know, we add some notes to the story, but he starts talking and taunting just like Goliath does. And he calls on Murphy to to fight him. And so Murphy picks up imaginary stones and he puts one in the sling and he sends it on over across the living room and it sinks into Willie's forehead. And he gives an Oscar's worthy performance of stumbling and tumbling to the ground. And as he lays there motionless on a living room floor, I think that the story is over, but he knows that it's not. And I hear his little toddler voice go, Murphy, cut my head off! <laughs> because that's what happens in the story, but that's not what I want my boys yelling to one another, right? <laughs> Children have this ability to see how God is strong, how God is powerful. It was the Tales gang, after all, that reminded us this. God is bigger. He's bigger than the boogeyman. He's bigger than Godzilla's or the monsters on TV. Children believe this to be true. As adults, though, we often struggle to believe the power of God. According to Pew Research Center, only seventy-some percent of adult Christians believe that God has the power to direct or change things in their lives. Why is this? I think it's because unlike most children, we've seen a loved one die of cancer. Unlike most children, we've experienced the pain of broken relationships. Unlike most children, we're aware of human trafficking, of genocides, of the worst evils that this world has to offer. These occurrences and ongoings of tragedy often crush our imagination. And I say imagination, I don't want you to think make-believe. I mean the ability to see in faith. I want you to think of what the author of Hebrews writes in Hebrews 11, 1, and he says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for, an assurance about what we do not see. As those who follow Jesus, we want to be confident that our God is powerful. We want to be assured that everything is under his control. But because of these occurrences and ongoings of tragedy, let me say it like this, because of the storms in our lives, we often struggle to believe that God is powerful. Or even more tragic, we often struggle to believe that God even cares for us. So my prayer for our time together this morning has been that God would enlarge our imagination, enlarge our faith and our ability to see and have confidence and to be assured that he is powerful and that he does care for us. If you're someone who writes things down, you can write this down this morning. This is what I hope you would hear from our message today. Jesus is God, and God is powerful. We're jumping into Mark chapter four, starting in verse 35, when Mark writes this. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. Now, Mark's sermon last week, began in the earlier part of this chapter, chapter four, with Jesus teaching from the shores of the lake. He was in a boat, a crowd had gathered around the shores, and he was teaching them using parables about the kingdom of God and what it was like. And at the end of the day, after a long day of teaching, he's tired, and he suggests to his disciples that they get away from the crowds and they go to the other side of the lake for a while. Now, moments ago, I told you that Jesus is God and God is powerful, and this is true. But Jesus is also fully man. I wanna talk about this for a moment using the first chapter of John's gospel. John, in his gospel, uses the moniker Word to refer to Jesus, and he writes this in John chapter one, verse one. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And later, in verse 18, he writes, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. John states clearly that Jesus is fully God. John also states clearly that Jesus is fully human when he writes this in verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus is fully God and Jesus is fully man. This is to say that Jesus is God and God is powerful, but also to say that Jesus is man and man gets tired. Have you ever been tired after a long day of work? Yeah, just me? I doubt it. I know you guys are going to be sleeping this afternoon. I'm the one up here working right now, all right? I know what's going on. Jesus is tired after a long day teaching. And so he says to his disciples, let's go to the other side of the lake. Now, when I was in junior high... I wrestled, and uh, I don't have anything about, to, to brag about when it comes to my wrestling career. I was not that good, not a spectacular wrestler by any means. There's one word that defines my wrestling career in the junior high, and that word is insecure, and I was insecure due to the uniform that I was required to wear when I wrestled. Okay, you guys laugh and know what I'm talking about, right? I'm talking about the singlet. If you're unfamiliar with the term singlet or what it is, it's a, a skin-tight piece of spandex that they made you wear as you fought another child in front of a crowd. It was horrible what they were doing to kids back then and still doing it to them right now. It's horrible. In junior high, I was the kid that wouldn't wear shorts if they were above my knees. And here I am having to walk out in this gymnastics leotard in front of everybody to fight. I mean, I'm so embarrassed. How am I supposed to have confidence when I walk out wearing this? How am I supposed to impress girls in this uniform? Especially 30 seconds later, I'm on my back, right? Now, I asked my coach, I said, coach, can I please wrestle in shorts and a t-shirt? And he said, no, son, get out there and fight that child while wearing women's bathing suits. This is like what junior high wrestling is all about. The uniform that I had to wear made me so insecure. And I tell you that story to bring up this point to cause us to reflect. Have you ever thought about how secure Jesus had to be in his identity as fully God to put on the uniform of humanity and become fully human as well? I mean, think about it for a second. How humiliating for God to put on flesh, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, born in a manger amongst livestock, having to walk the dirty roads of Israel, having no place of his own in which to lay his head, mocked by arrogant religious leaders, and to be tired, to be tired at the end of a long day teaching. Yes, Jesus is God, and yes, God is powerful. And yet in his battle against the enemy Satan, he put on the uniform of humanity. The author of Hebrews writes this, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of people. And so God came to earth, putting on the uniform of skin and bone, the powerful one yet tired amongst us in this life. He's in the boat as so we pick up the story in Mark in verse 37. It says, a furious squall, this is a storm, came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? And he got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. Now the lake that Jesus and his disciples were on was the Sea of Galilee. And you probably know that some of Jesus' disciples in their former occupation before following him were fishermen, men like Peter and Andrew, James and John. They were familiar with storms on the water. Specifically, they were familiar with storms on this body of water. For this body of water, the Sea of Galilee, is where they made their living before following Jesus. But this storm must have been noteworthy in its fury, given the brief details that we do have, but more so given the fear that is in the hearts of the disciples. This is a big storm. And so they rush to Jesus and it seems as though it's immediate that he wakes up from his sleep and he calms the storm. And Mark ends the story with this statement. In verse 40, he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. These fellas, Jesus' disciples, are the fellas to whom Jesus said earlier in chapter four that the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you. And yet they are the ones who have to ask the question, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, if you're someone who writes things down, I'd encourage you to write this down. The calming of the storm is more about identity than power. It's less, look at what I can do And more, look at who I am. For his power reveals his identity. Jesus is God and God is powerful. And in fact, power is essential to God's identity. We see this throughout scripture. Jeremiah describes God in this way. It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. Isaiah says, have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. And the psalmist writes, he determines the number of the stars. He gives all of them their names. Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond all measure. David declared, once God has spoken, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God. The power of God is all over the pages of scripture. And I don't think that Jesus is interested in performing at talent shows for power's sake alone. No, he's interested in revealing a, the Father and making a way to the Father. When Jesus asks his disciples, do you still have no faith? What he's asking them is this, do you still not know who I am? And when the disciples say, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. They're saying, no, not really. We don't think we really know who you are. If you were to walk around the offices here at Christ Church on the south side of our building, you'd be able to peek into the windows and see how some of the staff have decorated their offices, and you'd be able to learn a little bit about them. For example, if you were to peek into Mark Christian's office, you would see Chicago Cubs paraphernalia, and you'd be praying for his soul, right? You look in the corner, she is shrine to cats because he loves cats so much. This is what you learn about Mark. Don't believe me? Just go check it out. If you go to the creative arts suite, you're going to see musical instruments and audio equipment. Uh, Do you know Josh Clark, who serves here as our groups minister? He's a great guy, humble in heart, bright mind, kind and joyful. If you know Josh, you know that to be true about him. But I I bet you didn't know this, that Josh is something of an art aficionado, if you were to look into Josh's office, you will see uh, this painting right here. It is entitled Potato Jesus. Uh, this is a true story. I'm not making this up. I walked by Josh's office. I looked and I saw that painting. I was struck. And so I had to ask Josh, what is that painting all about? And he told me the story. It didn't originally start out as that painting right there, Potato Jesus. It originally started out as the essay Homos right here, which in English means Behold the Man. It's just a depiction of Jesus wearing a crown of thorns. It's a a nice image, not terribly spectacular. It was originally painted in 1930, and at 82 years old, it was needing touched up. And that job fell to a volunteer for this small church in Spain Did not have the resources to pay a professional to touch up the image. So Cecilia Jimenez was tapped. She was 80 years old, and she went to task on touching up this painting. And once again, this is what they came up with, right? (laughs) Kind of a sad ending to that story, right? Well, this church isn't located in a town of about 5,000 people. It's fun to know, this is fun trivia, that hundreds of thousands of people have now traveled to that town to view this image of Jesus. Pretty wild. Just on accident. Now, here's the deal. Uh, if you've been around Christ Church for any length of time, you've probably heard one of our elders, Michael, say, what we always need most is a clear picture of Jesus, My friends, this is not that picture, okay? This is not what we want you to think of when you think of Jesus. Now, let me be clear. I'm not making fun of Josh. Josh does not have a low view of Jesus. He just has a great sense of humor. And I find that painting funny as well. What we always need most is a clear picture of Jesus. What Jesus is trying to provide for the disciples in this moment, and now we have the chance to peek into it, is this. Jesus is saying, I am God, and I am God. Am powerful. This is what we want to see when it comes to Jesus, his power, for he is the powerful one. So the disciples were ignorant of it in the moment, but you know who knew who Jesus was the moment he spoke? The wind and the waves. Did you catch that in the story? When the wind and the waves heard, Quiet, be still, they recognized the voice of the powerful one who first spoke them into existence when the disciples were ignorant to his identity, the wind and the waves were keenly aware that the Lord had spoken to them and so they bowed in his presence. The wind and the waves knew that Jesus is God. And Jesus calming the storm reveals to the disciples and now to us that he is the powerful one. But I skipped over something important in the story. Did you realize that? I wanna go back to it for it's worthy of our attention. It's verse 38. Jesus was in the stern Sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Now, in the midst of this big storm, the disciples did what you and I probably would have done they went to Jesus. For they knew that Jesus was able to do great things. They were, that he was their leader. They had seen him cast out demons. Peter saw him heal his mother-in-law. They had seen him cleanse the skin of a leper and they saw him give strength to a paralytic to walk and they saw him heal the shriveled hand of a man on the Sabbath. They know he's a miracle worker, but the question remains, does he care about them? That's the question the disciples asked. Jesus, don't you care if we drown? Maybe a better word to use here is accuse. I mean, they're certainly afraid, they're frustrated, and maybe they're accusing Jesus here of not caring about them. Have you been there? Jesus, don't you care about what I'm going through? Jesus, don't you care about me as I'm weathering this storm? Jesus, don't you care that my body is failing me? Jesus, don't you care that my relationships are falling apart? Jesus, don't you care that I'm a single parent on a single income just trying to make ends meet while teaching my kids to love you? Jesus, don't you care that this temptation is strong and no matter how hard I fight it, the desire is always there. Jesus, don't you care about me? We often read Bible stories to our, our boys from the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's a fun resource for kids. It's a really helpful resource as well. We have it available in our Pathway Center if you want one. But the reason I bring it up here is because the authors of the paraphrased version of this children's Bible include this story in there. And when it gets to the part of the disciples saying, "Don't you care if we drown," they insert this parentheses that are not in the scripture, but it's a helpful reflection, they say this, "Of course he cares. That's the whole reason that he came to rescue them and to save them. Of course he cares. He put on the uniform of flesh and bone, didn't he? Of course he cares. He's here on earth, isn't he? Of course he cares. He's in the boat, is he not? God invites our questions, he invites our concerns. But before we ever ask the question, do you care about me? Let us remember that he already answered that question in this. For God so loved the world that while we were still sinners, he sent his one and only son to save us. God did not send him into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Of course he cares. Of course he cares. Now, I want to be careful in what I say next, especially in light of what has already happened in this story, seeing that the, the wind and the waves were calmed. Now, I will say confidently that Jesus cares for you. And I will say confidently that he is powerful enough to calm any storm. But I cannot say that he will immediately calm your storm. In an effort to be helpful, well-meaning people, even believers will promise quick deliverance, immediate healing, rapid relief to those weathering a storm, even though God has not promised this himself. Often, if not always, this does more harm than good. I'm not saying that he can't calm the storm. I'm just saying I don't know when he will. So if you're weathering a storm right now, instead of telling you what I don't know, I want to tell you what I do know. I know that God cares for you. I know that God is powerful. I know that you are invited to talk to God and to cast your cares and your worries upon him. And I know that God is listening and that he will hear you but I don't know what God will do. The only thing I know is what he has already done. I know that he has sent his son to be with you, I know that Jesus cares enough about you to put on flesh and bone. What I know is that Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made human likeness, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. What I know is the same Jesus who laid down in the boat is the same Jesus that was laid down in the tomb. What I know is the same Jesus that spoke to the wind and the waves, quiet, be still, is the same Jesus that hung on the cross and with his last breath said, it is finished. What I know is the same Jesus that rose from his slumber and had victory over the storm is the same Jesus that rose from the grave and won victory over death. What I know is that there will come a day when God will wipe away every tear from every eye and there will come a day when there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the storms in this life will be over. What I know, what I know is that those who have given their lives to Jesus have the powerful one with them in the storm. And so I echo the words of the Apostle Paul when I say I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love that God has for us in Christ Jesus our Lord. For Jesus is God and God is powerful. Therefore I call On all of those who call on the name Jesus. Let us fix our eyes on him, the author and perfecter of our faith, for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God in power. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart in these storms. I don't know if your storm will end soon, or if you'll have to weather the storm until the trumpets come on high. But what I do know is that our Christ has come once and our Christ is coming again. And when he comes, he comes in victory. And my storms and your storms and all storms will be silenced, quiet, still, as they bow at the feet of the Lord who came in victory. This is our reality if we live our lives with the powerful one. This is our reality as those who are complete in Jesus. I wanna take a moment right now to speak to those in the room who may have not given their lives to the Lord. You may not be a follower of Jesus. Maybe you haven't repented of your sin. Maybe you haven't been buried with him in death and risen with him in resurrection through baptism. I wanna speak to you for a moment. And I must say this as graciously as truthfully as I know how. I don't know what hope you have in this storm. In fact, I don't think you have any hope because Jesus is the only hope. So, what I want to do in this very moment is just give you the gospel so shortly that we were all made in the image of God to be in relationship with God. But, like Adam and Eve, we fell short through our sin and we were separated from God, but God's love for us did not cease. And so he sent his son to be with us, to be amongst us, to be the sacrifice for us. And his son, Jesus, hung on a cross as the sinless lamb of God to take the wrath of God away from us and onto himself. And he died there. But three days later, he rose from the dead. And all who call on his name can rise with him in life and life to the fullest. And our Jesus is seated at the right hand of the throne of God in power. And a day is coming when he will come back for us and every knee and every tongue will bow and confess that he is the Lord. This is coming. This is the gospel. And so we invite you, if you have not yet called on the name of Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, we invite you to do so today. To join us in following Jesus. For the only difference between you and us is that we have Jesus as our hope. If today the name of Jesus has prompted any faith in you, any belief in your heart. I would like to invite you to talk to a friend or family member if you came here with them. If you'd like to talk to someone today after the service, there's uh, tables at the back of the room with lamps on them. There's a prayer center in our lobby. Would love to invite you to talk to one of the volunteers or ministers here at Christ Church about Jesus and giving your life to him. Now to all of you who are in the room, who may be weathering a storm, this is what I want to say to you. We don't weather this storm alone. We have the family of God with us. And so if today you're weathering a storm, a physical pain, maybe a sickness you're suffering, a disease that you have, something going on with your body, let somebody know so that we can pray for you. If you're suffering a storm right now, when it comes to broken relationships, maybe with a spouse or a friend or a child, let somebody know so we can pray for you. If you're suffering a storm right now in your mind, struggling with depression or anxiety, not sure what the future holds or what you should do in this next season of life, let us know. Let us pray for you. We're the family of God. We're in this boat together. And praise God that Jesus is there too, right? We trust in him. We rely on him together, for he is the powerful one. So after I pray, and as we sing this last song of our service today, if you would like prayer, if you'd like to talk to somebody about Jesus, the tables in the back of the room are a great place to start. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your son Jesus. I'm grateful that you sent him to be amongst us. He's fully God and fully man. Father, this morning there may be people in the room who are not followers of your son Jesus. And I ask, Lord, that you would prompt faith in their hearts, that they would be able to see and have confidence and be assured that you are God and that you are powerful, and that you can bring life and life to the fullest in their lives, that you can bring hope in the storm in their lives. Father, for my friends in the room who have called on your name and who are asking for you to to cease the storm in their life, I ask, Lord, that you would do it, that you would bring peace, that you would bring stillness, that you would bring quiet in their life by calming the storm. Father, even if you don't, In that case, I would ask that you would allow them to remember the words of James and that they would consider this trial that they are going through pure joy and that this testing of their faith would produce perseverance and that they would let perseverance finish its work so that they may be complete and lack nothing for your glory and their good. Father, we are grateful and we look to the day where Christ comes back and every storm is ceased. We pray it is soon. Lord, do not tarry. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Warnogo. We hope that this teaching is helping you discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. If you're interested in learning more about Christ Church, visit us online at cco.church.